everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And welcome back. I promised you guys something incredibly special, and I am bringing in someone incredibly special. To me, she's the modern-day Catherine, maybe slightly better. And uh, I cannot wait to share this conversation with you guys, because it is going to be a lot of giggles, a lot of laugh, and uh, yeah. So without further ado, let's bring in Tracy Reese. Hi, Crystal. Yay! I, I, I was so excited about this when I got the press information and I was just like this is ideal I had been having struggled with a couple of books I had come in and I was just like I need a good relaxation read and yours was ideal for it so I was so relieved good to know good to know so tell us a little bit about the elopement and kind of give us the readers a little bit of an insight into what it's about Okay, so The Elopement is set in 1897, so very late Victorian, and it's the story of three women living in Hampstead. Uh, Two of them are very wealthy, Um, one is a servant, a housemaid in the home of one of the other characters, one of the very wealthy ones. Um, And they're three very different people, Um, it's a very character-driven story I think Um, and I suppose the main storyline in it is that of Rowena Blythe who is 
the spoiled, beautiful, entitled society darling. Um, she is very, very wealthy. Um, her family have got massive expectations for her and she's always basically been a bit of a princess. Um, but she has got to the point where she's feeling a little dissatisfied with her life and she doesn't know why. She's always thought that excelling at all the things that she does um, and being um, adored uh, would be enough for her. But something's creeping in and she's not too sure what that's about. And then she falls in love with somebody very inappropriate. And it all kind of <laughs> goes to hell in a handcart from that. <laughs> I love that because to me, that's where it's like hearing the servant's voice and then hearing sort of her voice and all the different characters in it. It was, to me, a very driven story by the characters. It wasn't driven by the setting or the time period. And I thought your your eye for detail in it, and I don't want to give you guys too much weight because you all know that I'll do a review, but mm. your, your, the way that you put those little details in really makes that story just come to life. It, and it's such a pleasure to read, to, oh, to be honest you. with you. So I have to ask, what was the, the aha moment I've got to write this? Oh, it's a bit unusual for me, actually, because um, so all my novels are standalone. But there are some characters in The Elopement who also appear in my previous book, The Rose Garden. So The Elopement isn't a sequel to The Rose Garden. You can read it without ever having read The Rose Garden. That's fine. Um, but it was quite interesting because I had finished writing The Rose Garden and it was during that first lockdown, you know, the summer of uh, 2020. And, um, you know, my kind of agenda for that summer was just to work really hard and write as much as I could because it was, you know, an escape. It was a way of keeping working and so on. So I finished The Rose Garden and Rowena is just a tiny, tiny character in that. She appears in, I think, two different scenes. And she's basically detested by Olive, who is one of the main characters in both books. Um, and I, so I finished The Rose Garden and pretty much straight away wanted to start writing The Elopement because that, there was this little glimpse of Rowena towards the end of The Rose Garden. And it somehow intrigued me. Um, all my characters always have a life of their own. And... Um, there was just something about her. She was just supposed to be this shallow, annoying <laughs> um, girl. And there was just something that made me think, no, there's more to her than that. And she demanded that I write her story. And I thought, well, goodness, out of all the minor characters in that book that I could have developed and all the ideas that I had, I think she was probably the least likely in a lot of ways. And I thought, how am I going to make her... Um, sympathetic to readers you know nobody's gonna want to read about her but um, yeah she was very insistent and so that that was the starting point I love that because that that happens to me periodically does it yeah yeah like I'll be I'll be writing something I have a series that's a really really long series and and I kind of go back and forth to it sometimes and I have this one character who will just barge in no matter what I'm writing. I could be writing something completely unrelated and he will barge in and he'll be like, you've not finished my story yet. <laughs> yeah. And then I can't think of anything else but him for the and rest of the day it. until yeah. I go write whatever scene it is he's bickering about in my head. Yeah. 
Um, and Ian will go, why are you... Because I am terrible for muttering to myself. I don't know if you do this. But if I'm in the car and I get an idea, I'll start muttering to mm. myself. I'll be like, right. Fucking... <laughs> and then he'll say to me, what is it? What's going on? What do you say? And I'll be like, well, this character is annoying me. And then he'll be like, do you want to sound... He asks now. Mm. When we first got together, he never asked. Because he, right. he didn't want to know. But now that he's done two book tours with me, <laughs> being forced to hear about the book for mm. two weeks straight, he now asks because it gives him a kind of idea of what he's in for. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you've ever done that where you, you sit with your partner and you're like, this character thing is stuck and I can't get it forward and I just want to move on and... Uh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got a couple of people that I do that with. And it's it's amazing, actually, how when it's all in your head, it can start to get very blocked there. Yeah. But once you start saying it aloud, which for me always feels a little bit awkward at first, you know, I kind of say, well, so there's this girl and then this yeah. thing happens. And I, but I, I sort of feel my way into expressing my ideas. And then I start to feel, obviously, they might make um, comments that are really helpful but also I just hear myself I hear the story kind of out there in, in work, spoken words and it makes me think oh perhaps it's not quite as bad as I thought it was after all which is always comforting yeah I, I just know that from I have this one extremely large book which I'm trying to cut into sections which is very difficult mm. and he's my friend inspired him and ever since I wanted him to be a villain, just a simple mm. villainous character we don't like, we don't want to know about, we don't want to read about. And he has this way of just, he just came into the story and he's taking it over. Mm. So no matter which sort of, because we, we, the way we designed the series was you would have Marie's side and then you had Layla's side. And we built it so that you're getting the perspective of the ba main characters all involved. Mm. So it's like they'll all have their own individual groupings of books, but the, it when you put it all together, you get like the huge big picture, mm. which I never realized just how ambitious it was when I took it on. Yeah, and he was only supposed to be a fleeting character that would come in and out of all the books, and he's been a nightmare. Harold has been the bane of my existence because <laughs> his story's so in depth. Why is he villainous? Why does he want to do this? Why does he act the way he does? Why is he in love with this girl that, and he can't let her go? No matter what she does to him, why can't he let her go? And he's actually created this entire sort of off segment of his entire, you know, his own world. And I never signed up for that. Yeah, he's supposed to be this tiny character that I could just take in and out whenever needed. And, yeah. uh, my co-author he will say to me i've not heard from you through three days and i'm like yeah well i was doing something and uh, he got in the way again you know <laughs> so it's, it's kind of that running joke i think we all have those characters though that mm, just yeah. just can't shift so, so tell me how did you create that really down-to-earth working class voice because that's so hard to do was that inspiration from Catherine Cookson, or was that what? What? It, well, how did you capture that? I think I don't, it's it's difficult to explain. Really, I think the 
the general answer is that all my characters kind of exist in my head. They're so real in my head that actually all I have to do is listen. Now, what it is that means I have those characters in my head speaking a certain way so that all I have to do is listen, I'm not quite sure. I think it's probably the fact that I am immersed in so many books and uh, dramas on, you know, films, TV, whatever. I think I um, am too, so I'm with you on that. Yeah, you know what it's like. I think, you know, I mean, since I was tiny, tiny, I've been, you know, reading Dickens and, and watching the, the Sunday night adaptations of Dickens and not just him, but so many authors. So those sorts of rhythms of speech, I mean, I did languages at university and obviously I obviously I love writing so I think I'm just very much a word person a language person and when I'm when I am immersed in something um, and period dramas often do have that upper and lower class divide um, I, I I hear them they just they the rhythms kind of land in my head and um, and so then when my characters start coming to life their speech patterns are there I think that probably is some sort of an explanation for it but no it, it, yeah. it is perfectly understandable because I've always explained my style is there's a universe in my head and I just walk down a lane and the entire film or whatever mm. it is plays out and I, yeah. I just I will lose myself for days just writing Mm. what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing what I'm feeling and one of the things that I do is if I'm writing a specific genre I will be reading that genre to make sure that the rhythm of my own language and the, the sort of flow of my own is mm. in tie with what we see in that, that specific mm. genre mm. Um, because I've got a really good skill at mimicking I can mimic mm. accents like I could be in Manchester for an hour and you'd think I'd been there my entire life because my wow. accent changes Mm. Um, which is great if I go abroad because I could get away with so much <laughs> like you know we went to Los Angeles and my, my husband he's Glaswegian and right. such a strong Glaswegian accent everybody in LA would look over at me and they would say what did he say? <laughs> and it's it was that awkwardness of me then having to try and think oh, sh mm. crap what, what's the American way of saying this Mm. But I had a Cali accent mm. from all the years of being around my wrestling friends and my American friends and, and growing up with American kids mm. um, that I used to laugh and I could just turn on this Cali accent, mm. no problem. And actually a lot of people would say, what part of California are you from? <laughs> wow. And I would have to then say, well, actually I'm from Shetland. And they would be like, well, where's Shetland? And then I would have to explain, which by the way was extremely difficult because most people did not know that where Scotland was, never mind the fact that my island was more up towards Faroe and Norway. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah, and I think that mimickingness that I can, that is, is somehow a talent of mine, mm. it, that helps me. Have you yes. ever found that if you're in, an, if you're surrounded by, you know, if you go and you stay in a place that you can kind of just absorb it in like a sponge? Yeah, yeah, I have. I think, again, it's part of the languages thing, you know, sort of. Um, I went to Mexico a few years ago and I hadn't spoken Spanish for years and years and years then so I'd yeah. forgotten it all but obviously once I was there and immersed in it and hearing it spoken around me it started flooding back and um, so yeah. Did you find that easier be being actually sort of in, yeah. in that kind of world? 
Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, much, much easier than trying to sort of speak Spanish over here. But also, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm not great at accents. Like if you said to me, do a Scottish accent now or a Manchester accent, I wouldn't be able to do it. But um, I did at one point um, a good few years ago now. I had a lot of Australian friends and we spent a lot of time together. And that was in London. When I moved back to Wales, where I live now, everybody yeah. thought I was Australian. Um, and that I have that lasted, problem too, yeah. Yep. It lasted for a couple of months and then it obviously wore off. Yeah. And yeah. Course, I think that if we're in that world and it's it's something that we hear all the time, and it, I think it's something we pick up as kids, we actually start to pick up the dialect and the slang and, mm. the, and the way of pronouncing words. And I think writers are, are more attuned to this than most mm. people because we're trying to almost mimic that kind of world into our work mm. so our ear is constantly listening for mm. it and then we're, we're implanting it in our brains and then we're putting it into the work mm. i bet if you went to australia next week everyone would think you were a native maybe it would, maybe. It would come back it come would back come quickly. back quickly yeah. yeah 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 i however when i go back to shetland everybody uh everybody teases me because i can't get my shetland accent right at all <laughs> Oh really? It's like the place I grew up with and lived my entire life, and I don't sound like I'm from there. <laughs> so, when you were jumping classes from mm. chapter to chapter, how did you find that? Was it hard? Was there a mindset you had to get into, or did you like write all of their stories separately and then stitch them together? No, I did jump. I I wrote it in the order that it that it appears in the book. Right. So I started off chapter one was Pansy, chapter two was Rowena, and I just went through like that. Um, I didn't find it hard to switch really between the two. And I think it's the same reason, it's just they were also real in my head. It was like, okay, now I need to tell this bit from so-and-so's perspective and, and there they were. And I think, because obviously everybody is so much more than, than their class, you know, with Pansy, what really interested me um, especially at the beginning, was how she was so kind of resentful and snarky and bitter and just, you know, really... I think really... anybody that's in service is that way <laughs> Yeah, especially for that family, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what came through to me um, really strongly. And um, so I remember, write, you know, writing that first chapter where she's beating the rugs and imagining that they are the other family i um, wonder how many people have actually done that there are still yeah. cleaners to this day that go into people's homes and they're like i'm hoovering <laughs> the owner do 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 you know? <laughs> i wonder i wonder yeah. yeah i wrote that and i thought wow you're, you're angry um so yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was it was fine moving back and forth between them and actually enjoyable because i think if i write too lot too long a stretch in just one voice i can get a little bored so it's nice to move around and mix it up creatively it makes me feel like i'm writing more than one book at a time and i think if you'd sort of be writing one of them for a long period of time it might have become i don't want to say boring but it, it would have become harder i think because you would have almost especially if it was rowana I think mm. you'd have gotten to that point where I'm going to physically strangle this character. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got that sense as you were writing her. I could hear the, I could feel the frustration with her a little bit mm. coming through the page. And I'm like, oh, girl, I so understand you. <laughs> I actually said that and my husband's like, 
what are you talking about? <laughs> I, mar- I, I did. I spoke the whole way through, which yeah. is a sign. If I really love something, he will hear me go, God, this girl needs a slap or, or whatever. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I will make commentary and it drives him. He will actually say to me, you cannot read if I'm asleep because I will start talking. Mm-hmm. And he talks in his sleep. So then he starts having these conversations with me, but he wakes up and he remembers them. Aha, weird. And it drives him crazy because he'll be like, what were you reading last night? I did it with Book Ears, which was by um, Sonny Dean, an incredible 294-page fantasy mm. where um, there are technically vampires who eat books, right? Wow. So it's totally different. You've never read anything like this before. Mm-hmm. It has some modern day feels to it, but honestly, you could read it like a period drama. Mm-hmm. And the minor times I would start muttering, and he would be like, Really? It cannot be that bad, Crystal. I'm like, It's mm-hmm. not bad. It's like it, you just got so engrossed in it that you would mm-hmm. start your own kind mm-hmm. of commentary. And I love it when I see other readers doing that, especially in bookshops. Yeah. And they'll yeah, be yeah. like, and I'll be like, oh, somebody after my own heart. I, I think that's just the tell of how good a novel is. If you can't hold your own thoughts to yourself, <laughs> you just you end up exploding, you know, wanting to share it all. Well, I'm really glad the elopement made you mutter. <laughs> oh, it did. Oh, it did. But I must admit, I would like to see a bit more of variety. I can't pronounce her name very well. Variety. Verity, yeah. Thank you, yeah, because just, I don't know, there was something about her that said, there's more to this person than I know, Mm. and it drove me mad a little bit, because I kind of wanted to know what her motivations were a lot of the time, and I think she would be such, she's an awful character, but I think she would be really good to sort of understand, and I do like characters that are not lovable. Yeah, yeah. That have flaws. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but if you were reading Catherine, there was always a character in that series that you detested, Mm. but you couldn't resist them. Mm. You had to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I I love it when um, I kind of get that story where I know there's a character that's not likable, especially the lead uh, female in this. And I had to know why she was the way she was. And mm. I think you, you've pulled that off so well. Honestly, I, I am so relieved that you did it so well. Because some people, they'll, you know, they can do a really good period, but they can't quite pull off that underlying mm. feeling that you need to know why they're the way they are. Mm, yeah I really did enjoy writing both of those characters and yeah you're right I mean if if there had been scope for more verity that would have been fun because she really she really was awful um yeah oh I was like girl you need to go to therapy so bad (laughs) like I don't think therapy's enough but let's start there you know like (laughs) I couldn't help it I was like I literally said that every time she came on the page I'm like oh god and Ian would be like, if you don't like that bit, just skip it. I'm like, I'm not skipping it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm very defensive over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to ask, the time period you chose, mm. can you can you give us a little bit about that? Like, what was it that made you say, I want to set it at the end of the Victorian period? 
Well, so part of it was because it did kind of, in one sense, follow on from the Rose Garden. And the Rose Garden was set two two days and two years earlier um, in 1895. So there was that. Um, But as to why I like that period in general, I've written quite a few books now set in the Victorian period. Some are early Victorian, some mid, some late. And I really like the late Victorian because... You just know that they're on the cusp of so much change. And in this one, um, it's the um, Diamond Jubilee of uh, Queen Victoria. So they, even even within the book, they have this kind of pause for thought, this kind of, wow, this woman's been on the throne for 60 years. That's a really long time. Look at all the things that have changed. And, of course, we know from the vantage point of now that... Um, things were going to change so massively in, in the 20 years ahead. So I do I do like that feeling of it's still, there are still a lot of very received values, a lot of um, values that obviously we now think of as very outdated and even wrong. But also it was it was all moving out of that. Um, so there's just, yeah. a, there's just a lot there for me that's just really interesting. I love that time period as well. And I think capturing it is such a talent. If you can capture it, you're, you know, you're one of the most amazing writers I've ever met. I love that period, but I would never be able to write in it. I can write in Nordic time because I grew up with the Nordic stuff just Mm. drilled into me the entire time I was in Jetland. It was like, we're Vikings, we're Vikings, we're Vikings, you're not Scottish, you're Viking, you're Viking, you know, like, and it was, it was actually like that. It was like indoctrination. Yeah. And, you know we would get history lessons on Viking culture all the time. Mm. Uh, so I can go and write in that time period and just be mm. lost in it. But mm. compared to, I would love to be able to have that skill of being able to write in the Victorian type. Mm. Um, and actually the, the historical novel that I hope to send you one day, mm. is actually set at the time of World War II that I did. And it's mm. my first historical that I've actually finished. Wow. And Well done that captures the Shetland sacrifice that they made because they were, they ran a mission called the Bus Project and they sent sort of sailing boats, pleasure boats, fishing boats over to Norway to save people from the Germans. But they also patrolled the waters to try and rescue people that had been, had their boats blown up. Mm. And it was a lot of Shetlanders served in the merchant where their jobs was to go and rescue or try to recover the bodies of the crews that were sunk mm. in the submarines. And my grandfather served. Mm. Both my grandparents served. So growing up, I would listen to them talking about the things that they did or the things that they saw. And my grandfather was a very prolific swearer so it was very difficult to hear a story that didn't have like a million swear words in it like every (laughs) other word was a swear word but underneath all that I could see like the the undiagnosed PTSD and and sort of trauma he carried with Mm. that and that the fact is that we're at that point in time now where a lot of these families are are gone they're Mm. gone Mm. and I I just want to capture that and I want them to feel like their sacrifice isn't just a statue in a town and an island that nine, you know, most of the world doesn't know exists. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. yeah. So that's why I wrote it. Um, yeah. But I wrote it in very conte- sort of as modern language as I could because I want as many people to understand it mm. as possible. Mm. Um, 
Which has actually been weird because I've had a lot of publishers say they don't like it because of that. Because mm. it is, you know, the, the language I use is simple so that people can understand that. Did mm. you find that difficult, like trying to balance the olden day language and, and the sort of mo- more modern kind of word usage? Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's always... It's always something that needs attention as you're working yeah. on it because it's that it's that um, different it, that balance between wanting it to sound authentic, wanting it to sound like they would have spoken then, yeah. but not wanting to alienate contemporary readers. Um, yeah. So, I think again because it be, it wasn't too bad with this one purely because I had done a few Victorian novels before, so I'd sort of done my experimentation and making my yes. mistakes along the way. Um, but I do know exactly what you're talking about, you know, some characters. I mean, one of the things that I love about writing Victorian fiction is the elegance of it, you know, the the flowery language, the beautiful costumes and so on. So with the language, I can really go to town on the sort of, you know, the archaic forms and the very, very formal words. I really enjoy all of that. But then when I get to doing my second draft and I'm reading back over it, it does strike me where I've gone a bit too far down that road and I kind of scale it back a bit. Um, And I think, you know, sometimes I read Victorian fiction that that it is very awkward. The dialogue is very awkward um, because it's lots of have nots and do nots, whereas we would say haven't and don't. And actually, you know, I just I do put in quite a few haven'ts and don'ts because um, yeah, it's exactly as you say, it's just finding that balance, um, Mm -hmm. where, yeah, where it sounds convincing, but it's still smooth, smooth to read. And that, that's what I'm sort of, I'm going through my draft now and I'm Mm -hmm. like, how do I make this balance perfect? So Mm -hmm. what I've done is I've completely immersed myself in period again, which is exceedingly difficult when you're getting a hundred books in. Mm-hmm. But like drop myself into that and just trying to find that right balance. Mm-hmm. And I hope when it comes out, because it has got a publisher, and I hope when it comes out that there's that love for the mm-hmm. characters there. Because I, mm-hmm. I do plan to make it a, an eight book series. Mm-hmm. Why have I agreed to that? I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, my main series I have with this publisher is 32. And then of course mm-hmm. I said, oh, I'll take on this eight books. It'll Whoa. be no problem. <laughs> Boy, did I think, oh, I should have shot myself before I wrote that email. <laughs> 32 books is a big series. Yeah, and I mean, we've, me and my partner, uh, the, sort of our co-authors, we've been working on this since 2015. So it's, it's been mm. a long time that we've been working on it. It's all broke down. Mm. It's just a, an, an actual need to sit and, and focus on it and actually get on and write it. Mm. Um, so having Walls Manor was so important for me. Hopefully, it comes out November next year, time for Veterans Day and mm. Memorial Day. If that's if you're oh, good luck, yeah. Um, but yeah, to me, it was so important because there's so many stories in the past mm. we can really learn from, and I think COVID really highlighted that for me. I don't know if you mm. feel the same, but mm-hmm. the community that we had years ago it's not the community's feeling that we have now Mm. and I think with us going back into recession and inflation going sky high Mm. we need to look at community bonds community being a community again Mm. where Sunday you do have maybe a church meal Mm. where you all bring potluck or whatever Mm. and you know you eat together or 
if you know your daughter and your son's struggling you, you maybe take them back into the family home and you keep them till things get to a point where they can go out and live on their own again i think that kind of unity that that unity is so important especially mm. now that we're going to be going through a much harder i think a much harder few years yeah than any of us actually initially thought we would be going through yeah um, so I, I kind of felt like that when, when I was in COVID and I was like, I want a, I want to write books that's going to try and bring people back together, have people talking around a dinner table. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you go out for dinner, the amount of people that sit and they're having a meal and they're on their phone mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. nuts. Like, why yeah. did we all just stop talking to each other? Yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? You know, and and that's why I think if we have books that modern day readers can understand, but encourages them to put the phone down and actually have yeah, a conversation. Yeah, remember with each that other, it wasn't always like that. Yeah, then yeah. maybe, maybe we can move mm-hmm. forward as a as a society and and actually be able to look after each other. Yeah. Um, and I feel that's especially important with the U.S. at the moment because if you look at the states, they have, I mean, California has had three. No, sorry, five mass shootings since the start of this year. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? And that's over hate. It's hate and not understanding their communities they're in or not understanding each other. And I think as writers, and I I kind of go back to what also I said, you know, when she did her science fiction series, we as writers, we have the power to change things. Mm. We, that pen that we hold... Mm. is so powerful i think that we sometimes forget that mm-hmm. that we can highlight yeah. things and say hey yeah. you know i mean Catherine was a perfect example she did the first racist you know brought up racism mm. decades and decades yeah. before anybody else talked about it she talked about interrelationships between races and mm. ethnicities and she she brought up mental health issues and you know equality and women issues but when you look at a lot of modern day books where is that where is that conversation about moving things forward yeah yeah i think we need to kind of be reminded as writers that it's not about money it's about telling really good stories but also remembering that there's a society out there that needs us to kind of guide them to keep getting better yeah i think things alive yeah absolutely i think um we just often don't realize i don't know i suppose because you know becoming a writer is a dream for so long for so many of us when it actually happens there's still this bit of disbelief like wow people are really reading my books and the the elopement is my 10th book and i still feel that way but whenever i get uh messages from readers saying oh, I really loved such and such book that you wrote, and I particularly loved this aspect of it. It's so often an aspect that I haven't even really thought about. Yeah. Um, and people are saying, you know, it's re- people say things like, you know, it was really comforting to me to see a character mm-hmm. with that issue deal with it this way. Or yeah. I really loved how you didn't have the conventional happy ending because it's never worked out like that for me, and I don't feel sorry for myself, so it's nice to see that reflected. And whatever it is, you know, but... Yeah. It's often things that I, I haven't consciously set out to write something that is uplifting on a particular issue, but it's yeah. just in there. It's the way the story comes out, and it does reach people. It does affect people. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's quite that's quite a big realization. Yeah, and I I, I mean I had the same kind of feeling um, or same sort of interaction where I'd finding God in hope, and I had literally just gotten this inspiration about grief. I, mm. You know, I just lost my lost a family member, and I, I was getting hit hard with it. And the idea of well, what would it be like to roll over in the middle of the night and find your husband dead or your or your wife dead? Mm. And just that question of well, how do you put your life back together? And not just with your faith, but as a person, how do you put your mm. life back together after mm. that? And that story just came from that that point. And I had so, an, a, a woman write to me, and she goes. I lost my husband. I woke up and he had a heart attack in the middle of the night and died. And I know exactly what that character felt. I, I, I felt like I really lived it. Mm. And I realized then that sometimes addressing things like that was really important to my readers because they, everybody's looking for something. Mm-hmm. Either if we're looking for an escape or we're looking for an answer to something that we're feeling or we're dealing with. Mm. And I think covid was a, a really good example of that because we all were looking to escape mm-hmm. let's, let's be honest none of us wanted to deal with this whole nightmare um you know especially with a pandemic that we had no idea where it was coming from for so long mm-hmm. and and our lives were totally you know shut down and yet at the same time when i was in it i was like well why would something like this happen what drove this to happen and i almost my my writer's voice came up and I was mm. like, well, what would it be like if we were trapped in the place that it started? How would that feel? And that's when I came up with the dystopian. And I, I centered it around that. And I, I just, I don't know, maybe I feel like my stuff is pushed from, from a place inside me. Do you mm. ever feel like that? That the, You know, when you're writing, there's a part of you that's pushing how you're feeling into the, sto- yeah. like into the story and into the plot and into the concept? Yeah, definitely. There's a real fusion between what's going on on the page and what's going on in me. And yeah, um, yeah I think, again, it's it's not necessarily conscious. It's not like I think, oh, I'm currently feeling this way, so I'm going to write a book about this. Um, yeah. But yes, w- what I'm sort of, the questions that I'm working with in life always do seem to filter in there somehow. And, you know, and the other way around, because I remember uh, when I was writing The House at Silvermore, which was my fifth book, um, the character was a coal, the main character was a coal miner and he hated it. He didn't want to do it, but he kind of had to because society then as another late Victorian was such that um, in those communities, that was what you did. You were essentially born into that way of life. And um, there's one bit without giving too much away where he's trapped underground in, in a tunnel and it took me ages to write that bit because I was there with him emotionally and it was obviously such an unpleasant feeling. Um, I, I didn't know how to get him out. I knew, I, well, yeah, I'm not going to stop talking about that. But anyway, I did. I That's one scene. I'm normally a very fast writer, but that one scene took me about three weeks because every time I sat down at my laptop, I was just like, I can't, I don't, I just can't even do this. Did you find um, the procrastination bug bit you on that one? Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, lots yep. of cups of tea, lots of urgent errands all of a sudden. Yeah, like, ooh, I could go Hoover right now, or oh, I need to let the cat out, or, 
yeah i don't think yeah. I ever <laughs> but yeah you know what i mean you, you I know you, your brain found ways like i'm terrible uh i get sometimes emails i love houses I, i'm one of these mm. people that love to look at houses for sale mm. and my procrastination is i need to find a house for my character yeah that i can create in my head so oh, i good. will sit and i'll go through different houses and depending on what country that's set in Mm. And I will look at houses and my husband will be like, what, did we win the lottery? You didn't tell me? And I'll be like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm house shopping. You know, it's, and not that's, <laughs> no, it's not for us. I'm, I'm house shopping. And he, he laughs at me so much because I could lose myself in Google for mm. four or five hours easily. Mm. And it'll be over the stupidest question. I'll be like, hmm, could this happen at this time? I think when I was doing... Sort of Wall's Manor, the question that I had was what was going on with the Spanish royal family during World War II? Mm. Because I couldn't remember anybody ever talking about them. Mm. And I got sucked down such a deep rabbit hole mm. just with that one question. Yeah, like, it's easy to do. Easy to do. Because you, know, you do end up researching things as you're writing, I think. Mm. And that was me. I was just gone. Mm. Uh, and you, you know, came back to me with sticky notes everywhere and pieces of paper flying about. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, I had an idea, but it's not working out." And I, you know, and I've just spent six hours in Google. And he's like, "Oh, okay, right. yeah, yeah, go eat something." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm terrible for that. I don't know if you get into that mind frame where you just lose all sense of time. Yeah, and yes, then somebody chaps your door and's like. You need to eat something. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've got this constant battle between um, obviously wanting to write the books, need one, needing to write the books, but also wanting to and wanting to be in that flow. You know, where it all just comes out in that wonderful, magical way. But also trying to look after myself and keep reasonably healthy because the first years of being a published author, I. I just wrote and then after a while I realized this is actually really unhealthy just to be sitting in front of a screen for all these hours so I'm forever trying to weave in you know various activities and people say you shouldn't sit for longer than 45 minutes at a time it's just impossible because once the story starts flowing I'm there for as you say for hours and then I'll kind of finally come back to myself a few hours later and think wow okay I really need the loo I'm really cold I'm really hungry but I haven't noticed all that time because I'm so lost in it yeah so it's, and it's a wonderful thing but not a very practically helpful thing I, I remember um when I was up with my mom and I was writing and she's one of these awful people that interrupts flows and I was I was so deep in the flow I turned my music up so I couldn't hear her just in case she came in, because I had to get it done. I had to get it down. I was I was just so captured in it. And the next thing I see is she's doing jumping jacks in the corner of my eye to get my attention. Like, <laughs> this is not a woman that exercises much at all. And I'm like, what the flip? And I turned around and she goes, it's lunchtime. You've got to eat. And I'm like, okay what planet am i on like i and then i looked at the clock and i had started writing at six o'clock in the morning and it was one o'clock in the afternoon it had gone that 
That wow, happens. yeah. And she was trash. like, no, lunch. And I, I've always been that way growing up. Like, I was a dancer. I could, I could rehearse for eight hours mm. because I was in the flow of this thing mm-hmm. and I wanted perfection. Yeah. And I had to rely a lot of the time on my dance partners and my friends to say, no, Crystal, you need to eat and drink something because we're dead. We can't keep going anymore. Um, and it was the same when I was in drama club. I had to have a director who would say, no, it's the end of the night. Go home. Um, and I never expected to feel that way about writing. I never, you know, my husband still to this day, he'll go see his cousin and he'll come back at eight, nine I'll get to bed. I will make it to the bedroom. But he'll be like, what are you doing? Are you writing? And I, I have actually had to set boundaries in where I'm like, after a certain time, it, the, mm. the word document shuts, the music goes off, mm. and I watch something, and I have to sew. Mm. Sewing is now my turning my brain off. Oh, I nice. don't know if you've got something that does that, but... Yeah, I have to read or I have to, to sit and I have to sew. Yeah. And it's the only way that my brain will slow down enough that I can get to sleep. Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. You need different, I mean, reading and writing, obviously, are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You need something different and something visual is ideal, visual or practical. Um, yeah. I can't sew. I love sewing. I, I love the idea of sewing. I love the idea of actually making things, especially clothes. But... I can't sew, I'm rubbish, but um, I draw... Practice, trust me, it's practice. (laughs) I started off awful, like my grandmother would rip everything I did back to square one and make me do it all over again, but if she hadn't done that, I would never have gotten it, and I I make cushions for the family, or I make uh, little treasures for them to keep, and Mm. I think every Christmas I try and make something for everybody. Mm. which so so it makes it forces me at night to sit and sew because i'm trying to tick everybody's boxes that's brilliant and it's really good for your fine motor skills yeah my speeding my my type speed has gone up since i started doing it again right okay because it it works with your fingers yeah so you're you're when you're typing your fingers are in a set motion yeah when you're sewing your hands are constantly changing positions Mm -hmm. And it can actually break up a lot of the gunk and the calcium that you get when you're writing. Yeah. And it gave me so much more movement back, especially Mm. if you've got arthritis. It is essential that you do something else with your hands Mm. because you can get the carpal tunnel syndrome. You can get a lot of these issues. And I thought my doctors were mad when they said this to me. But see, since I've started doing it, it's been a game changer. Mm. Absolute game changer. wow. So it's just a nice little tip. Like, I mean, you can get, like, um, I'll give you an example. Viewers, uh, for audio reasons, I'm showing Tracy a printed sewing kit, which is a cushion. And what I like is, is you can see the colors. Mm. So you just match the thread color to what you're you're sewing. Yeah, yeah. Which is great, because you don't need to think. I can't do the counting thing because I always lose my position. But with this, I can do it late at night with a little lamp Mm. and I can forget whatever stresses I've had during the day. And it's so, you can see the size of the the holes are quite big. Yeah, yeah. So even if you're a beginner, it is so easy to make one of these. It can take about 
two three weeks if you do mm. just a few hours a night yeah but see the satisfied the satisfied feeling you get at the end when yeah. you give that cushion to somebody or you put your cushion onto your sofa and you can yeah. see it it just reminds you there's more to life yeah outside yeah. of everything so I always I always try and encourage people whether it's you know you can get diamond painting which is tiny little stones that you stick on a a pre-printed picture and you can make it 3d and you can put it on your wall or you can give it to somebody and it makes their day or you can get paint by numbers and it's the same thing you're doing something creative but you're you're turning the volume down in your mind enough that you can rest yeah and you can yeah. get that relaxation because i I've, I've been a writer that's burnt out i do the same thing as you and i i am now more wary of that and i try and encourage mm -hmm. new writers burnout is a thing yeah yeah you know and you can especially if you're trying to move different publishers and you're trying to move into different areas you can that rejection does beat you down over time Mm. and you can get burnout so I always try and say have a hobby that you can go to when you're not writing and refresh yourself yeah definitely. And also I found that doing this I can actually undo a lot of my writer block mm. yeah other, that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do because I'm searching constantly for an answer to the question that's stuck in my head yeah so your brain needs a rest basically yeah. so you know it just you can you can keep pushing and pushing and pushing away but if you actually give it the chance to switch off because you're doing something completely different like with with you it's the sewing with me it would be drawing or cooking um or, or singing during that time you're thinking about different things whether it's your body or what you're making or the food or whatever it is um and that's when your little brain thinks ah i know what i need to do about that yeah, it's like clear. I always, I always kind of use the plumbing analogy. It's like you get your your tubes all get clogged up with gunk, and you got to find a way to just push it out and and just start again. Mm. Which was your favorite character in this book? I think it was Rowena. You know, just because, as I say, she started off so unlikely, and yeah. then just flowed as a character. So as an author, I'm grateful to her for being such an easy write. Uh, you know, she really was very insistent and I did I did love the gradual melting away of all her stupid beliefs stupid ideas silly ways um to reveal in you know underneath all of that actually somebody with a kind heart and a keen intelligence who actually wanted more out of life wanted more for herself um it happened very very slowly and gradually and subtly and it was fun to write that it was it was fun to write the sequence of events that led to that happening and at various points I remember just thinking oh poor Rowena oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm doing this to you um because she did have some you know pretty bad misadventures but um yeah it was it was a lot of fun to write and I really enjoyed the way that she emerged at the end and I like the fact I don't know if you realize this but you captured the attitude of the mother and the daughter was so similar in the beginning mm. and I was like that's her learn from her mom by watching mm. her mom and and probably society around her and that's mm. where that attitude and that kind of privileged attitude has come from mm. so it was almost like it was a reminder remember what you're teaching your kids to yes. me anyway like I had that in my head when I was reading it I wonder yeah. if she's noticed that she's put in that little message be careful what you teach your kids because yeah, I this think this is how they're going to turn out, you know. Yeah, 
I think I think I mean most humans are pretty unquestioning up to a point and they'll yeah. be either something that happens to them or something in their character that at some point in their lives whether it's when they're young or, or quite a bit older makes them suddenly go hang on I'm not I'm not sure about this and I also think there's a there's a, an issue there about about women particularly yeah. even now I think are encouraged to be pleasing and to yes. make that a priority um in their persona in the way that it isn't for men um so that was that was very much there in victorian times you know women had to be decorative and polite and ladylike and all of these things so rowena was that you know to the nth degree she was the queen of doing that that actually makes me think of the phrase keep sweet yeah i don't know if you've ever seen that yeah. it, was, it was something that the mormons had um because it's funny, they still have the Victorian attitude, the, the mm -hmm. extreme Mormons, I'm not talking about every normal day Mormon, but mm -hmm. the extreme Mormons, it is a very Victorian attitude where they're supposed to be seen, not heard. They're supposed mm -hmm. to be sweet, never, never, you know, never talk out mm -hmm. turn, never talk back, you know, uh, do the housework, do what you're told, always listen to your parents. It was a very keep sweet attitude, mm. and it's it. I find that amazing that that still mm. exists mm. in twenty twenty three. Okay, it's in Oregon, mm. in America. I don't know if there's anywhere else where that extreme Mormonism still exists. But for me, that that was shocking. And if you ever if you ever on Netflix, I I recommend you watch Keep Sweet because you'll understand what I mean by mm. taking Victorian ideals and morals and taking them yeah. to far to the far extremes. And that was what I loved about your book because you kept the balance. There wasn't that extreme moment of reminder that you know Victorian air, air, mm -hmm. Victorian morals needed to move on. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was that was so well done. Oh, what was the you. best part for you, right? Oh, the best part. That's a hard one. I've just hit you with like a hard one. I know. That that is a hard one. Um I did really enjoy it all, but I'm just I think probably um it was actually and again I don't want to sort of give too many spoilers, but when things did cuz basically Rowena as you know she started off in one position, then things got really bad and then yeah. um, obviously picked up in a different way for her. And I think it was it was the low point for her was so much fun to write um i think we was... all find that the funnest part is torturing yeah. isn't it that, that was the bit where i was saying to her i'm sorry i'm putting you through this but um yep. it was very yeah very fun when she when everything had gone wrong and she'd lost everything and um yeah how, how bad could it be <laughs> quite bad exactly yeah and what's what was the worst part for you right what was the part that you you really kind of had that moment of I'm not struggle but you know it this mm -hmm. is harder for me to kind of put together I think for me it's always the bit where so obviously I, I do my initial research about the period and the place yeah. so that I know the context that the story's taking place in so that I can write it convincingly that's all fine then the story takes over and it's all nice and the characters are dictating and it's flowing blah 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 and then I get to a bit where I need to do a bit of extra research um, that I wasn't prepared for. So in this book, 
um, Pansy. Um, so as you know, her storyline is basically her, her mother says to her, you can't stay as a maid in that house. Um, it, it's getting very toxic. She doesn't use that word, obviously, because um, it, you know, it wasn't used in that way then. But it, it was a toxic situation for her. So she has to go and find something else to do with her life. And in the process of her explorations, um, I came across things that she came across, for example, where she starts thinking maybe she wants to be a milliner and she starts looking into the, the hat making business. She is sent to a factory where people made um, the flowers, the decorative flowers out of fabric that go on hats. And for me, what's difficult about that is that I then have to, obviously, I can't just wing that. I have to stop the, the story and go off and do extra research that I didn't yeah. do at the beginning because I didn't know there were going to be hat flowers in it, for goodness sake. Well, you know, no, it's no, just of course not, yeah. one of those things that turns up. Um, and there was, there was so much to learn about that. And I went down a massive, massive rabbit hole, as you were saying about Google earlier, you know. It wasn't that it wasn't um, enjoyable to do, but it's then I, it does take me out of the flow because then I have to kind of have that sort of bit of my my intellectual or my my um, academic brain reading it, you know, and thinking right, what's useful here? How much can I put in? What will move the story along? Uh, wanting to maybe go off and do a whole tangent about some character who's making hat flowers in a factory but knowing that I can't because that's not this book and so I, I think that's those are the sorts of things that I find um less Hard. easy to write yeah. yeah 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 no I get that I when I was doing Marie's World balancing the sort of dancing and the wrestling was so difficult because mm -hmm. it, there isn't a book that there is not a book that exists where you've got a dancer who's in the wrestling industry whose no. father was a wrestler and how she has to adapt to that mm. but also being aware of I've got to protect my twin because my twin is naive she maybe doesn't necessarily understand what she's doing or what she's getting herself into and balancing all of that was my hard part mm. because you you have to be aware of well what's the wrestling attitudes and then what's the dancers attitudes and then well, well what's society's attitude and then mm. combining all three so I, I totally get that. And, mm. and the amount of times that I would have to go and find one of my friends and be like, hey, you were in the business at such and such a time. Gotta ask you a bunch of questions. Um, and usually I would get, oh, God. That was always <laughs> the reply I would get to begin with, oh, God. And, but they got so used to it that I'm almost like a little sister that they're educating in a way. Mm. But I get that because it, it it's very difficult. And especially if you know if you know all the worlds and you're wanting to, to kind of represent them the way that they are mm. there's that extra pressure that goes on you and I think with you being a lover of historical fiction you must have felt that like I really want to do this justice but I really also want to do the time period justice mm. it would have been a pressure that you might not even realised you had mm. yeah I, exactly exactly and, you know, a finished book can only be so long. Um, I yeah. think my publishers would be quite cross if I gave them a 300,000 word book. And so there, there's only so many characters that you can fit in and do justice to. Yeah, I yeah. must admit, um, I would love to sit and talk to your editor sometime because I think mm. I would love to just pick their brain. And I do this with editors, which drives me, drives me crazy. 
Because I'll be like, I've got some ideas, but I kind of just want to see what's working and like what what you're thinking. Um, and I do this with my editor, my publisher, and honestly, I think she must be bald. She must have pulled all her hair out by now. <laughs> because I do that. I'm like, well, I've got this really good story, but I don't know if this fits and whether I should be putting my effort into it or not. But it's there, and I, I kind of want to share it with somebody that I know is not going to go blah with it. You know, like I, I can share that and have that kind of conversation. Do you do you get that with your editor where you can actually sit and say, ah, this is the idea I have. Do you think it's worth pursuing? Um, I'm sure I could. Um, I haven't done only because I tend to. I get these very strong ideas, like with this one, Rowena saying, yeah. you've got to write my story. I'm not just this this spoiled, silly woman. Um, yeah. And it, I I. So my process is I just kind of sit down and write a massive unwieldy first draft. I just churn out all the ideas that are in my head. Then when I've got the whole, um, the whole story down, I'll go back to the beginning and I'll kind of switch out of that very receptive, organic kind of mode and switch back, switch on a more analytical sort of brain. Um, yeah. And that's really my editor brain. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm quite good at that as well. So then I want to, I don't want to show it to anyone at that point because right. it's so obvious to me what's wrong with it. There's no point right. wasting their feedback at that point. So I, I go through it, I do a second draft with my editor brain on and I just read it through and I think, right, what's working? What doesn't work? What do I like? What kind of just goes on and on and needs to be cut back because it's getting boring and I can see those things for myself so by the time I actually submit it to my editor it's it's pretty much done and so then the feedback that I get from them is just invaluable because I feel like by that point I've got it really as good as I can on my own um, yeah. but always another perspective and another pair of eyes is is just incredible it's paramount um, yeah it's yeah I totally agree and I think with yeah my dyslexia I will and I'll go and I'll, I'll I break everything down I don't know if you do this but I have to break everything down so I know where I'm going and where I'm not going mm. and then from there if it's something I think is maybe just too out there I will have that conversation with the other mm. because I'll be like I might really like the story but I might be scared to start it because mm. there's nothing worse than writing an amazing story and then realizing nobody's interested in it. Mm. And I've been in that spot. And it's awful. It really is awful. So now I do have conversations with people. And I say, well, is this something that works for you guys? Is it something that you'd mm. rather not? I I feel like if you go with the, uh, the concept, you can get that valuable idea of whether it's something you could put on the shelf and you can go back to later. Or mm. it's something that you can pour yourself into completely. Yeah, yeah, because it, and it's market awareness, isn't it? You know, publish, yeah. publishers are very aware of what's happening in the market and what yeah. is likely to find a home at any given time, which exactly. is brilliant. It's a brilliant perspective to have. Yeah, and I think, I think from doing my internship with a literacy agency called um, the Toya Smith Agency, I was able to understand that, and I mm. think it saved me a lot of heartache because it now makes me consider: well, if I'm going to go write this is there a basis for this to work mm. and if so is this the time to do it yeah and I, I feel like that saves a lot of writers heartache if you can have those conversations with a, a, an agent mm. or you can have that conversation with an editor 
particularly if it's a genre you're not in. Mm. Then yeah. it can really help you understand whether you're going to be in for heartbreak or whether you're going to be in for something yeah. that they actually want to, to look into and they want to invest yeah. in. Yeah. So moving into books. Mm. What is the book you've read most recently that stuck with you the most? Ooh, well, I actually just finished one this morning, so and so that's really fresh in my mind. But it right. was um, "Just Haven't Met You Yet" by Sophie Cousins. Um, oh, wow! It's a it's a rom com essentially, um, but as you know, with every genre, you get you know books and books within that. And um, this is the second book yeah. that I've read by Sophie, and I absolutely love her. She writes rom-coms that are completely satisfying they're really intelligent and they're not just about the the rom-com they're about they are about they're about people again they're character driven that's always my favorite thing um and there's always like a great hook you know a great kind of device for the story but essentially it's two very very real people and then all the sort of supporting cast around them um, it was hilarious. There was one scene where I was just laughing out loud, um, but also very, very touching because there are some, you know, quite um, deep and difficult themes in there as well, like loss and grief and memory and the tricks it can play. Um, but yeah, you come away with all of that. You come away with this very kind of uplifted feeling. So yeah, I love that. So that's literally my latest read. <laughs> I, it's funny you, you were saying that because you made me think of uh, we had Holly Williams on recently right and she's just done a rom-com but it goes through time so okay. you start off in one era and it's about meeting the right person but at the wrong time mm. so looks at women and male relationship through different time periods mm. and I thought that would I think you would really enjoy that because you get the, the historical and you get that feeling of being back in time but you also get to see a lot of the fun and the, the those moments we all love but at the same yeah. time you're seeing how that time period affects the people who are trying to be together oh nice and i yeah. thought it was such oh. a good balance so i i would recommend it it was called what time is love by okay. okay so recommendation there because it was Honestly, Mona, it was an incredible read that, yeah, I, I can't say enough good stuff about it. Oh, great. Um, it, it does look at things in such a, a, such a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I just adored that. The other one, have you tried Elizabeth's chapbook yet? Or Yes, yeah. Are you a fan? I am, yeah. I, I read her, <clears throat> I first read her a long time ago. And, yeah. I've only discovered her in the last few years okay. and I, I was a bit nervous because a friend of mine gave me her Nordic book and I was like I know Nordic history so yeah. well I was like I don't know if I can read this without criticising it and then I was totally surprised <clears throat> by it like it was so well done I couldn't I couldn't fault anything yeah. I couldn't fault yeah. anything I, I wasn't expecting the steaminess of it. That mm -hmm. did throw me a little bit. I was like, mm -hmm. wait, what? Yeah. Like, this is not what I expected. I don't think um, I've read that one. I don't. I, I remember reading a kind of 12th, 12th century Britain kind of um, well, this era. one This one was the kind of, you got to see the Saxons who were Vikings. 
mm. actually invading England. Mm. And then, you know, this woman's husband is murdered by mm. this invasion. And the guy that ends up killing him is who she ends up falling in love with. Oh my and gosh. She, she ends up being with him. But what they, she doesn't know is that he's got a wife in a different country. Mm. And it's sort of like he has a wife over there and a wife here. Mm. And he goes back and forth. And it really is that story of her losing everything. And then sort of trying to rebuild her life. But she doesn't just go through this once. It's like a couple of times she has to rebuild her life. And she has a little son. And she has a best friend who, you know it kind of highlights the maternity issues back then and she she dies giving mm. birth to this son and the, the whole story was so well done mm. and it, there wasn't any glaringly obvious faults in the viking history and the saxons mm. and and how there was the hate between you know the ones that had played a part in the war and how the vikings had actually become mercenaries to fight other wars and they were trying to control the crown mm. and I thought that was really good and the other one she's done which is another one I'm, I'm just sort of getting into it now is the love knot mm -hmm. again it goes back to that same time period and you would find it really refreshing it's so different mm. it really is I, I can't recommend her enough you tried the gypsy by Leslie Pierce yes yes I adored that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, did you? Yes, did, did you really yeah. like that one? Yeah, but I, th I read it quite a while ago, so yeah. I I took it into the hospital because I I had read her when I was like fourteen, I think I was, mm. and I I fell in love with the story. I think it was Survivor, it was called, and I picked up the Gypsy, and I thought, right, I had started it twice, and I thought, no, I'm going to read this, mm. and I'm in the hospital, so I've got no excuse. I'm stuck. And I was waiting to go to surgery, and they actually had to take the book off me. They had to pull it off me because I was so aggressive. I'm like, no, I need to finish. And they're like, no, Crystal, give us the book. You're going to sleep now. And the first thing I did when I came around, and I, I was really ill, the first thing I did when I came around was I curled in a ball with the book like this, and I was reading it. I had to know how it ended. Yeah. And the nurse goes, Crystal, go to sleep. Crystal. <laughs> they would they, actually at night they would find me asleep reading the book just that like is, I'd be asleep on the book you know that is the power of a good book to comfort isn't it it's yeah wonderful. and that, that that's what I was saying to Ian it's like if you get that right book when you're stuck dealing with something that's awful mm. it gets you through because yeah. your brain has something else to think about other than I'm sore I think I'm going to be like it takes your mm. mind away from all those yes. other stuff and yeah. it allows you to escape yeah, However, I, I do wish he had not taken... Do you know that Twilight has another book out called Edward? No, I didn't know that. It, yeah, she does. And it's like a, a doorstop. It's huge, mm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hardback, too. Wow. And I'm lying in ICU, and I asked him to bring me a book, and he brings me an Edward, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I've got all these wires and tubes, and i got to try and figure out how to read the book. This gigantic, heavy, hardback book with no real hands. Oh. So this, this nurse took such pity on me. She was fantastic. She built me this little, like, stand that I could use. 
and then she found me a light because there was no lights there's no individual lights in ICU mm. so she had to get a, turn on one section of the ward so I had enough light that I could read and I was the only person awake which by the way was a bit strange and I had and I read it um, and as all I did was I sat and I read that book and they were they couldn't believe it they were like why is this girl who's supposed to be completely out of it on pain meds sitting reading this book got the biggest book in the world <laughs> I had the biggest book and they couldn't believe the size of it they were like could we not get you something smaller and I had already started it so I'm like no mm-hmm. I have to finish it um, but when I went to H which is high dependency unit they wouldn't let me read they wouldn't even I... give me my glasses so I, oh, couldn't no. see, I couldn't see so when my husband finally showed up I'm like this because <laughs> I like, tried to have glasses I need glasses mm-hmm. um and they wouldn't let me read. They were like, no, she's going to sleep. We're, we're trying to force her to sleep. Um, so, yeah, I had three weeks where I didn't actually sleep. And all I did was write and read uh, mm. for three weeks. And I wrote 100,000 words in three weeks. Wow. Because I had nothing else that my brain that could That is do. immense. Yeah, I now need to cut the book down because the publisher's like 100,000 words. is just too big crystal just too big <laughs> so i'm now sort of sort of trying to cut it into chunks which mm. if you know you'll know yourself to try and mm. do that is a nightmare mm. to find out well, where's the perfect spot to say this is the end of book one and this is the start of book two um yeah so i think rating is incredible and sharing different ideas is sometimes mm. a lot of fun yeah um i was disappointed with edward's book but i think you might feel differently mm-hmm. i just found following just edward and going through it's like the first book but not mm. like the first book mm-hmm. it's very confusing um if you're going to do it i would suggest reading the first book again and then reading edward's book because otherwise it's not going to make any sense at all mm. uh, i didn't do that out. yeah i didn't do that and i wish i had done that because it mm-hmm. honestly did not make any sense to me at all um but yeah those are the ones that i kind of really gotten into and i yeah, it's good to share recommendations because you never know. Yeah, you never definitely. know what's what's going to tickle your fancy. And yeah. No, exactly. And there are so many different books out there, of very, oh, very different sure. types that are just you know incredible. People yeah, are writing the, such amazing stuff. I I love period drama, and I was a bit iffy on reading historical fantasy. Mm. I didn't even know that was a genre, right? Totally had no mm. idea, and somebody gave me. Court of Thrones and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. Mm, yeah. I was blown away by it. Mm. It was like living in a fairy tale. She has the historical, like, she has the historical yeah. feel perfectly. And then she also has this incredible magical world. And I thought, gosh, her brain, like, how did she meld yeah, these two together? Yeah. yeah. And I, so I'm kind of broadening my horizons now I'm, I'm much more open to different kinds because you just never know when you're going to hit that book that goes oh I gotta read mm. this I don't care it's three o'clock in the morning I'm going to finish it yeah um so yeah if you had time to just sit and read what would you what would you pick you get a series and an author oh um yeah uh, this is a toughie yeah. I don't well okay so author would be taylor jenkins reed i love all of her books so if i just had you know unlimited time and it was just luxury reading time i would just yeah disappear into anything by her um 
and a series has a to be a different series, outfit. A series, a series, a series. Um, I think it's harder this I mean, one. I always say Kathy Cookson because she's got such a wide series that I can just yeah, you yeah. know, like you could pick anything out of hers, and it, they all technically connect in some ways. So. Yeah, um, I think it would be. Can you reread things? Because yeah, actually, yeah, now, that, yeah. now that we're talking about Twilight, I think I would want to sit down and read the Twilight series from start to finish again. Because uh, it's a long time since I've read those books, and I and did. They, love I them. think everybody got sucked into those. Because oh, everybody! Were, it was such an easy read. Like, yeah, I started it summer. Oh gosh, it would have been like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, mm. and I I didn't know anything about Twilight. My cousin came in from Barnes and Nobles. He's like, "Oh, you got to read this." He was terrible for this, by the way. Mm. We would be reading other stuff, and he would come in with this book and be like, no, you guys have to read this. It was like mm. vampire stuff. And I'm like, mm. I don't know, I'm a bit iffy. Yeah, Because like, I read Anne Rice, you know, it's the first mm. thing you think of when you think vampires. Mm. And I read it so quickly. And and then I was like, oh, I need the next one, and then the next one. And then the film started coming out as well, and I was like, wow, mm. this is incredible. And I was scared yeah. to ever write a vampire one myself, because I was like, I don't think I could do the justice that she did on it. Mm. Um, but the Orchid Guild came along, and I was so ecstatic, because I took vampirism, but I added it in with Celtic and Welsh oh, wow. mythology, yeah. which I knew really well, because uh, we had a lot of Welsh people who stayed in Shetland during the the oil boom mm. and it was easy because I, I heard all these stories from the kids because they would get these old stories from their parents and they would come to school and a lot of the time because I couldn't play like normal kids I would sit with other kids and I would listen to their stories and mm. it, you know, it was great mm. Mm. so I took Salkis which is not a, a mythical creature many people know and mm. I added that vampirism which is totally different mm. And, you know, you've got brothers, and you've got curses, and you've got Welsh witches, which apparently I've made the strongest witches ever to exist. Because <laughs> a lot of Welsh witches were actually in America during the witch trials. Mm, yeah. Which people don't realise. And that's actually where the tongues comes from, is because Welsh have their own language. So when they were in the States, a lot of the time when they were trying to communicate with each other and they didn't want other people to know, they would actually use Welsh. Mm. Yeah, which I think is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, and I literally wanted to capture that and to sort of see where that would take me. So, I, yeah, that's what the Orchid Guild does. Interesting. Is, yeah, you know, different mythologies make it mixing together. And hmm. We in the UK, we have a lot of mythology. Yeah, we really do. You know, so so, the, so much. It's a great, great number of things to tap into. I think. Yeah. So. What author, past and present, has influenced, inspired, and made you excited about books? You get three. Oh, God. Only three. <laughs> so many. You only get three. You get three different ones. Um, so, uh, Dickens, um, yeah. because, I mean, his worlds are just teeming, aren't they, with... Yeah extraordinary language bizarre images amazing characters over the top language humor pathos everything i know you know i know some of the ideas are outdated now but as a, just purely from a writing standpoint these these massive dense detailed words that were just you know exuberant i think that's the word i always think of for dickens it's just yeah. exuberant writing 
Um, For me, it's like every time I think of him, I think of poverty. Yeah. Because a yeah. lot of his work was pointed towards yeah. the class system, the poverty situation. Yeah. And if you look at it, we still have that class system here today. Yeah, yeah. It is worse in the US, but we still have it as well. And it was weird. When I was in LA, I actually thought of him all the time because I, I noticed how the classes were divided. So if you were in a restaurant, you could tell where people had come from because they would gravitate to the certain corners of the room. Mm. Mm. And I realized that, I don't know why, but I was sitting in a restaurant and I thought, Dickens. Mm. This is what Dickens was talking about, about yeah. poverty and about class and about, you know, humans actually self-segregating. Yeah. yeah. But, but you don't realize it till you're actually in an area where that is really obvious, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, another two. two. So, um, oh, I don't. There was um, a Scottish author uh, who uh, wrote children's books when I was a kid, um, and it. Uh, she, Glory. No. <laughs> she oh was, no! Is it not? Oh, I know her. Leach. I know her really well. Okay. No, Patricia Leach. She ah, wrote a yeah. series of books about a young girl called Ginny and her chestnut pony, Shanty, and they were incredible. They were absolutely incredible. And I reread them, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And it's amazing, always interesting re- rereading something that you loved as a child when you're an exactly, adult, yeah. you know, see how it strikes you. And honestly, I loved them just as much. And I, it was one of those books, like you said earlier, I was having a really hard time at the time. And to be able to go back to these books at the end of every day and just escape into them for a while was just gorgeous. But they're just lovely. Um, and actually, I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about them for a lot of years. Um, but there's a lot in there that, that is very me, you know, her love of nature, animals, spirituality. Um, have, you tried yeah. the Heart, have you tried the Heartland series? The, yes. Oh, those were oh, beautiful written. Yeah. yeah, beautiful yeah. I think the show does it justice, but um, I, I was sad when the guy left. I was just, yeah. I bawled my eyes out. I really did. I was yeah. like, no, you can't kill him. No. Um, but I get the actor had to move on, so you know. Yeah. But she, those those books were incredible. But Debbie Glory, the the writer I mentioned earlier, mm. she did the Pure Dead series, right? Which was set in a Scottish castle, and it had Loch Ness monsters and crocodiles, and it was just a really funny children's series. Mm. Um, and with me starting my family with Ian right now, it was the only series I was like, my kids have got to know this series. Mm. Like I have, and I have bought the hardback you know soft covered versions oh, nice. i had so that i can give them to my kids so we can read them together mm. when whenever they appear and i thought you would love it you would love the humor yeah. in it yeah they are such an easy fun read um and actually it was what helped my mom with her literacy was right. actually sitting reading those books to me forcing her to learn you know mm. to to ad- not adapt her language but to be able to find her rhythm mm. and actually get back into reading because she didn't read for a very very long time mm. um still to this day i have to kind of give her a kick to read but you mm. know that's just the way she is but yeah. yeah i i just i think that series is great i think you might like her um, yeah okay thanks yeah lots of lots of recommendations that's the only downside to the show is <laughs> you, you go away with like 20 books yeah. and then you're like 
crap, I just bought 20 books. <laughs> so easily done. So easily done. Yes. Uh, so who's your final author? Who, who is your final book? Um, well, because you said inspiration, I think I'm going to say um, uh, Gillian Clark, who's actually okay. a poet. And she um, was the uh, Poet Laureate of Wales at one point um, because she came to see me, well, not to see me, but to see my class in school when I was 11. And even then I used to dream of being a writer and all my teachers used to say, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, everybody wants to be a writer, but you can't make a living out of it. It's not a proper job. Yeah, I got the same speech. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, anyway, don't get me started on that. But, um, yeah, Gillian Clark came to talk to our class, and we were 11, and she was so inspiring. And, I mean, this is a long time ago, and she's still going strong now. She's still doing events and readings and writing amazing stuff. And um, she had us all write a poem in the class, and she read some of them, and she read mine, and she started making suggestions there and then on the spot and she just made me think about language in a way that for me then was completely new and so I yeah I just remember that vividly even now so I think that's really inspiring it's funny you say that because my my cousin is a famous poet uh Robert Jemison uh, from Shetland and he did mm-hmm. a a book where you've got the Shetland poem it's in Shetland dialect and then you've got the English mm. and they sit side by side and it's incredible how he did that and he is you know it's almost like you you have i never knew there was a writer in the family because it was kind of kept secret because i had (laughs) a love for creativeness and i think they thought his craziness and my craziness might just be too much so (laughs) we were kept very separate but now that i'm growing up my dad was like oh you need to know your cousin who's a famous writer and i'm like Mm. you didn't tell me this when i was in school like when i could actually use his help um, but yeah, like it, it, it is that. Have you tried Mary Bunton? No. She was the inspiration for Jane Austen. Okay. So her sarcasm comes from her book called Self Care. Now it is a little bit tough to read. I will, I will warn you that it, you can tell that the woman's got dyslexia, but it was a groundbreaking novel, and nobody knows who she is. Hmm. Everyone knows Jane because of the way that Jane was, you know, was discovered. But she lived in Orkney, and she was married to a minister, and she wrote these books, and it really looked at women equality. And this is, you know, this is before Jane even started writing. So you've got women equality, and she highlights stalking and, and abuse, mm. but she does it in such a way that it's not off-putting. Mm. It's it's just a really good balance. So, if you ever get a chance, check her out because okay, she's. I never realized the inspiration she had on Jane till I did the Jane Austen course with um, Future Learning, mm. and it blew my mind to think here's a woman who lived in Orkney, is not known in Orkney, not known in Shetland either, and she was one of the biggest influences on the biggest name that everybody knows that most household historical fiction writer in the world other than you know dickens and that just yeah that to me was mm. just absolutely amazing mm. I would, I, I, yeah and I, I think if you discover her you might discover something new about the language of her time mm. as well because she doesn't write as well as jane 
Jane had a different style. But to see where Jane might have taken her inspiration from, I, mm. I just found that whole, mm. whole yeah. experience fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And I actually mention her in the Orchid Kid. I, I kind of bring up mm. pieces of self-care. Mm. And, you know, this girl who's sort of being sucked into this paranormal universe is still hanging on to this very, you know, woman-driven historical fictional novel as if it's like her anchor to the real world because, you know, we all do it if we're readers we have to find something to sort of hang on to, especially when our world's changing so dramatically. So, yeah, she was she was an incredible find. Um, yeah. Took me a long time to read her, though. I did, I did struggle yeah. a bit with her. But yeah. yeah. When you go to a bookshop, where are you drawn to, like, first? Where's the first place you are? Ah, the coffee shop. No, not really. Um, no, the, I'm the coffee shop too. Uh, <laughs> I have to have my coffee in my hand and walk tea about, and, you know. Tea and cake. But no, yeah. um, well, I mean, all over it, basically, but always, without fail, the children's section. Yeah. I love going and checking out the children's books. I love seeing the bright colours, the the crazy ideas. Um, yeah, and I usually buy one. I do, I do, yeah, I always end up there. I'm the same. Also, the new, the new releases, right? You know, yeah, the, yeah. Oh, so many parts. I actually managed to go into our zones with my husband the other day, walk around the entire shop and not buy a single book. Oh, you did it. I did. I did it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could do it. I could do it. I could go in and not buy. There were six books I wanted to walk out with, but mm. I, I was so good. I was yeah. so good and didn't touch any of it. I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean that my cart in Amazon doesn't have like 50 books in it but uh, mm -hmm. yeah like because um, there's so many authors I found over the last sort of, five years who are just game changers like mm -hmm. um, I read the Shatterly series by Telia Maffey and she blows your mind to do a book where the character's in a, a, a six by six concrete box mm -hmm. an entire story and the girl never leaves it. Wow. Yeah. That's actually really hard to do. That's really hard. You know, That's people quite, don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when she does get out, how all that changes for her. Mm. And that story, I mean, I think there's like four of them. But every book you see her grow. And she just takes you on a totally different ride every time. Mm. Um she is YA, so she's not children's, but she's YA. And I just found it completely mind-blowing. She's now mm. really doing well on TikTok, which is... I'm mm. not really read into TikTok, so I don't really know TikTok well. But she's hitting really the sort of that teen romance. You know, and it's mm. it's got dystopian in it, and it's got magic in it, and it's got things, but all that comes later. But mm. you get that kind of... That feeling like you're on this huge journey in that, that series... Um, and she tackles mental health in teenagers that's mm. the underlying message and it took me reading it and then really really thinking about it then I picked it up and I was like I never noticed that wow so mm. yeah she's oh, yeah sounds like she covers a lot of ground she does yeah and I, I was really surprised at just how amazing she did mm. so moving into your writing yeah how did you go about creating the dark moments, the darker kind of elements to the characters? Did you have to set a mood? Was there anything you did to kind of get yourself into that mindset? 
Um, nothing specific. Um, I always start writing the same way, you know, whatever, whatever section I'm writing, which is make a big mug of tea and light a candle. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Uh, but no, nothing I did to set the mood is just that my, the, the story just, I sit down and the story kind of comes and flows through me. And so when I got to the darker bits, you know, that, that, that can be harder to write as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. uh, because obviously again, you're, you're fusing with those emotions. Um, but just, yeah, just sit there and breathe and let it through and, yeah, that's about it, really. I always say don't overthink it. Mm, because yeah. I think I think a lot of us, we get to that point and we know it's a dark moment coming and we overthink it. And mm-hmm. that, that's where I think a lot of the blocks comes in. Or at least that's my experience. Um, so I always say to kind of newer writers who listen to this, don't be scared to just let go. Mm. Free flow can be your best friend if it's if you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always sort of recommend that when you're when you're a new writer starting out. Yeah. So what do you think made you choose the genre that you write in? What was your your big push? <laughs> it was actually very um, it was very pragmatic because I write as widely as I read. So I write all kinds of things. I read all kinds of things, and um, historical was literally the first novel with which I got published. So then that was my brand. So it's just oh, yeah. lucky, it's sort of a lucky kind of happenstance then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, at that time I was submitting um, work of all sorts of different genres and that was the one that kind of hit the big time, um, which was lovely. Um, and I, I love everything I write, so, um, you know, so it wasn't a hardship in any way. But, the, yeah, the, re- the reason is is that simple and that, that practical. But I have branched out recently, um, actually it was during lockdown, um, and started writing some contemporary fiction as well. So I've written three contemporary novels as well as all my historical ones. Um, I will be I will be looking for them. I will be very <laughs> interested in having you back just to talk about... Because it's uh-huh. good to see authors who do more than one genre, because yeah. I think we don't limit ourselves when we're writing. We don't think, oh, mm-hmm. it's got to be historical or it's got to be contemporary. I've just gotten an agreement with somebody to be able to branch out and do YA fantasy or go and write crime or wherever I feel like I'm being drawn Mm. um, with the agreement that I have to give her X amount of books a year. But saying that, I still have that that freedom to follow the stories Mm. that are touching me. And Mm. I think that's really important for all of us because it can be quite stifling just to to be stuck in that one, one box almost and... Yeah, it's, it's that dichotomy, isn't it, between writing as a passion and writing as a career and, yeah. um, you know, being a creative soul but needing to have a commercial awareness and taking Spreading it. Spreading really... wings, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, it, you know, it, it can be done. I think it's really important to understand all of those practical financial market considerations. But um, it's, it is entirely possible to, to, as you say, spread your wings as well. Um, yeah. So is it movie for you or is it jigsaw when you're kind of putting it all together? Movie. Yep, same, same, yeah. same. There's yeah. a lot of people though that say it is a bit like, you know, having a shattered jigsaw puzzle and you're trying to figure out the pieces so that, mm. and then once you do, it flows like the film. But, mm. you know, everyone's different. And I keep saying that to, mm. to writers. Don't, 
you know, if, if my way doesn't work or your do- way doesn't work, doesn't mean it doesn't work for somebody else. And yeah, that's exactly. the importantness about sharing is because you might find from one of us or one of the guests something that helps you mm. and allows you to to flourish, I suppose, is a good way of putting it. Yeah, exactly. It's such a personal thing. And the idea that there's just one right way to do it is, is nonsense, really. Every, yeah, every... I, I wish they would tell, like, the universities that. But yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Which character stayed with you the most that you've written? Which is the one that you just still, to this day, think about? Of any book that I've written? Yeah. Um, actually, a book that never got published. Um, it was yeah. one that I wrote way before I ever got published with Amy Snow and um, it was a fairy tale for adults so very different from what I'm known for now Um, but all the characters in that stay with me to this day and it must be god I don't know maybe 12 or 14 years ago that I wrote it Um, yeah they're they're still there do you think you'll ever pursue it do you think you'll ever try and get it out there yeah well yeah You'll have to send me it. I, I do okay. like an adult fairy tale, so yeah. I've, okay, I'm, we'll I'm up do. for that one. I'll do. I'll do your <laughs> review for that one. Excellent. Good to know. Is there a character you wish you could write more about? Oh, all of them, really. One of the things that I yeah, love. You only get one. One. <laughs> oh my god. Um, you gotta. You gotta be the the mom there and pick the favorite. Ah. <laughs> uh... Yes. <laughs> um, I think yeah, so um Jill from the Rose Garden. You haven't you haven't read the Rose Garden, nope, have you? No, I haven't. no. Um yeah, so so um there's a character called Jill in the Rose Garden and she's um fifteen, I think, and she is from the Caribbean and living in London and obviously having a, a tough go of things on account of being yes. black, on account of being female, being young, you know, so she's really um, unvoiced in, in many ways. And um, she's not a massive character in it, but she's quite a pivotal one. And, um, yeah, I don't really want to say about the end, but basically it was always in my mind that there was more to know about her. Um, and, and I even know what it is, and it's very unusual that I have entire storylines in my head when I start writing. But with her, I do. Um, so, the, do you think we'll see her in another book? Or? I hope so. I'm not. So the book that I'm writing currently isn't anything to do with the Rose Garden or the elopement. It's completely separate. But I would like to go back to that community and that little world once more. Um, to tie up a few loose ends that are in my head and and to bring Jill back and yeah I think the readers would love that because I mean from what I've heard about the Rose Garden and knowing the elopement like I do I think that would be an incredible storyline and I think mm-hmm. with the tensions of people that are in that community that it exists in London and in the US I think it would be a really good book because I think they feel a bit forgotten about at the moment, mm. especially mm. with a lot of the police officers and things that's going on there. Mm. Yeah. I think it would be really powerful for them to yeah. be able to, to see a good positive story for their history. Um, so yeah, and it, it could be popular like Bridgerton's been, I think, you know. Mm. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah. I actually know that one of the people involved with that because um, I did a mentorship with Disabled Writer Program in LA and I actually did some writing with Shona Land mm. and 
it was the most amazing experience in the world I've ever had. Mm. And I can safely say that that group of people are so positive oh. and are so upbeat and they're so welcoming. I, I can't praise that company enough. I really, yeah, really can't. That's really, that's really good to hear. There's such vivacity in that program, isn't there? So it kind yeah. of doesn't surprise me, really. And, and Shona's got this great kind of eye where if it's different, and she knows that she can make it powerful. And Bridgerton, there is a lot of power in there because you've, if you look mm-hmm. at the the fact she's got an Indian lead in, mm-hmm. in season two and she's had mm-hmm. the interracial relationship in the first one, it, she is testing it. She's testing mm-hmm. the bounds. Okay, it's very, everything works out in the end. And there's not any of that danger that you know we know from that time period that existed. Mm-hmm. But... I love how she's changing the opinions. Mm. She's bringing yeah. in a whole different world of people to actually look at that world, look at historical mm. fiction in a different way. Because I know from doing my own stuff that a lot of different authenticities don't feel represented in historical fiction mm. because mm. it's always there are you know they're always consigned to cliches or boxes, mm. so they don't feel very well represented. And I think you could really make them feel like they are part of history yeah and that they do have a place in historical fiction yeah yeah that's just my opinion well thank you i'm glad you like the idea that's very encouraging so moving into your life what's the first thing you do when you need to de-stress from writing and editing oh i've got a few things it's a bit of a toolbox so sometimes it's just get up and go for a walk um I just need to move my body, stretch my legs, and I've got, I'm very lucky where I live, you know, I've got some very, very beautiful country walks with lovely views. Um, sometimes, although it might sound a bit weird, it's just to dive into a nice book, so I'm still in the world of story, but I'm, I'm yeah. being, just being receptive and I don't have to think. Um, sometimes it's go and have a singing lesson, go and do a bit of dancing, it can, it can be a number of things. And it's, it's good to go and do other creative pursuits because yeah. it does, it rattles the tubes and it lets things come yeah. loose and yeah. I think that's really important. Seeing a friend as well actually, it's, it's a very simple thing but just, you know, to kind of work through till three or whatever time and then just go out and meet a friend for coffee and a cake and a chat and a giggle, it's really nice. And it does, yeah, I mean I've, I've got a best friend, Debs, um, and the amount of times that she's had to listen to me talk about a book mm. because I just can't let it go. Or there's yeah. a character that's just driven me to the point of madness and she'll be like, why don't you get it off your chest? Yeah. Like, tell me where you're at with it. Or, you know, and she always asks, what are you writing? Because mm. she knows I'm writing something crazy. Mm. Like, there's always something going on. Yeah. And she's she's been my biggest supporter from the, the very first day. Um, yeah. So I, I absolutely adore her. I think that's yeah. it's good. It's, it's good to have that. Uh, yeah absolutely absolutely so what hobbies do you enjoy and are there ones you wish you could explore more oh yeah um so yeah i've mentioned some of them singing dancing walking cooking reading um but yeah there's things i'd like oh drawing i'd love to do more drawing because that's just a very occasional thing for me now um because of time yeah. and uh, so i'd love to do more of that and also um the piano i um, I always wanted to learn the piano because I don't actually play any musical instruments. Um, Neither do I. I. Did, yeah, I did do grade one piano about eight years ago. 
and I loved it and I passed my exam I was really over the moon and then just life got too busy I think the difficulty for me is that because writing involves sitting down and typing uh, to then go and for relaxation to go and sit down and use my hands on a keyboard again it's too similar and um, I need to do something quite different and change up the energy so that's something I'd really like to explore when when I've got more time so I myself have a long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What, what's your thing that slows you down and lets you smell the roses? Getting tired, actually. I think I tend to, I, I tend to live. I know that one. I do. Yeah. I can hold my hand up and say, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. normally dog tired and my husband's like, go nap, go nap. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially if exactly. I fall asleep on the keyboard and I'm like, I think I think a lot of authors are the same. You know, we we love what we do, generally speaking, and so it is very very hard to slow down and switch off because um, there's this kind of delight that it's happening at all. But um, I tend to kind of do everything very fast, live life at quite great speed naturally. Um, so now I'm just getting to the point in my life where actually I can't I can't keep going at that speed in you know work leisure everything I'm doing. Um, I get absolutely exhausted and um, I have come to find at first I was really indignant like why am I getting so tired but I think there is a gift in that because as you say it does make you slow down and that is important you know you can't appreciating it yeah yeah. like seeing how far you've come is is, is huge exactly yeah yeah which you can't do you can't reflect on that if you're still just hurtling forward um so yeah and, and one I always say to people is, for me, the the best moments is when somebody has read my book and comes and wants to talk to me about it. Mm. That's the most appreciative mm. time that I have. Oh, it's because amazing. I I can be in hospital. I've sold books in hospital because I'm oh, wow. bored. And I, I'm mm. bored, so I talk a nurse, a nurse's ear off, and then she goes and gossips with another nurse, and it gets around. Mm. Um but yeah to me like just having somebody come back to me and say you blew my mind I never Mm. thought something like this could exist that's the thing for me that really makes me appreciate it my Mm. illness makes me say no you're not going to do 14 hours of writing or whatever it is I want to do because I want to be a normal human being um but yeah it makes me appreciate it and I think when I've got a kid I'm going to really appreciate things a lot more because Mm. I'm going to have to deal with the illness the kid and then try and find writing time um so yeah i i think teaches me balance i think i think Mm. that's my thing and i think it's great to have a really steady balance for everybody yeah it's an art isn't it balance it it really is and i think it's so important for writers nowadays Mm. um i think covid really taught all of us that you know we need we need balance we need to have have that balance yeah where's your favorite place to curl up to read Oh, well, this is a one. hard one. <laughs> well, I mean, anywhere, anywhere with a good book, but um, it, on my sofa in my lounge because uh, it's very, very cozy. I've got a, a wood burner and lovely colours oh, and, and bookcases. And it's, it's just, a, it is a really nice spot to sit and read. Um, and I have a study upstairs, so it's nice to go down and kind of just think, right, this is a bit of, bit of leisure time. Um, but also I have a favourite cafe, um, which is on the edge of the sea, and they allow dogs in there, so there's always loads of dogs running around. And um, I love that. It's when yeah. you're there and there's dogs. Yeah. Because we have a cat cafe. Oh, nice. 
which is totally the most bizarre thing you'll ever go into, but it is so cozy and nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got a cat that will curl up with you and it will just sleep next to you and you can read. Um, oh, so yeah, like I, I get that. Like I have to read in the car, or yeah. I read in the hospital waiting room, or whatever I am. Mm. So I don't really get a favorite place. But one day I would like a conservatory. Oh, that nice. I could have yeah. like the, the the burner on and then curl up with the blankets and mm. you know just read. That's my mm. dream to get to that point where I'm not worrying about anything and just to be able to do that that would be my favorite place mm. so finally you've made it to the word game no <laughs> uh, this is the part where everyone goes oh no yeah. but let's have some fun and see where it takes us because this is when you get really odd recommendations and you never quite know what you're getting into so it's, it, mm -hmm. i always think it's fun and i, I know a lot of listeners uh, love this so we'll, we'll yeah. just try and see how it goes okay so your first word is roses. The rose garden. <laughs> that just can you can yep. you sell your own books? That just obviously just yeah you can yeah. It's any book that you've ever read. Yeah, that you can you can go with. How about bluebells? Oh, bluebells is hard. Um, I go Catherine for this one. Uh, yeah, the I get that. Place. Yeah, the dwelling place. I get that, place but I can't think of a specific one. Oh, the dwelling place. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's. Because remember when she goes yeah. up to the to the cat like to the cave yeah. where she's staying, and she's she's heavily pregnant, and there's blue. She mentions bluebells. Mm. That that's blue. right. Yeah, and I don't know why that sticks with me, but it, the image of her walking and her hands touching the flowers. Yeah. It's just a song. I don't know a really strong image. Yeah. What about Meadows? Anything by Thomas Hardy. So Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Yeah. yeah. That, one, that one's easier, I think. Yeah. What about Forests? Forests. The Lord of the Rings and the Ents. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's different. What about yeah. Carts? Ooh, Carts. That one's a bit more tricky, I think. That was really yeah that's really tricky um little house on the prairie did they have a cart or was it a yeah, buggy yeah yeah no they yeah. did they did yeah, that'll they work that'll work i actually thought of um the velvet gown by Catherine mm -hmm. because that was victorian times mm. and the girl when she gets kidnapped she's thrown into a cart with this like wooden door and bars on it mm. So I always think of that every time yeah. I, I hear a cart. So, what about horses? Um, oh, the uh, for the love of a horse uh, by Patricia Leach, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I, I read. I, I thought of Heartland actually. It was just oh just yeah, as you yeah. Said that. I was like, oh Heartland, yeah. Because yeah. people don't realise that was actually a book series. No, no. Yeah, I, I read a lot of pony series, pony stories when I was a kid, and yeah, those are the ones that still just stick in my mind. Well, your final word is cobble streets. Um, David Copperfield. <laughs> okay, that's different. Mm. Okay, I thought of um, Stalking Jack the Ripper. Oh, right, yeah. Which was a, a cracking YA that... Um, where a young girl becomes involved with forensic science mm. and 
I just thought it was so different. Like that yeah. whole idea was was incredible. I can't pronounce the last name of the author, but it's Chris something. Mm. Um, but she, yeah, she's incredible. Mm. I think she she did okay. a fantastic job. Well, you survived the Book and Life podcast. I did. <laughs> I hope you had fun. Oh, it was lovely talking to you. Um, so yeah, we always invite you back. You're more than welcome to come back next time you come back. It'll be a much more deeper conversation of what mm-hmm. you're, you're you're promoting, and it's it's less about kind of well, it will be a lot about writing, and it will be a lot about yeah. the book. But it's it's this is a great way to introduce you to everybody, and then people will recognize your name, and when they tune in the next time, they will get to learn just a little bit more about the other side of stuff. And great, yeah, we, we well, build upon it. We build uh, upon it here. Nice. I like building. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for coming. Guys, this has been a fantastic Valentine's Day episode. And you are not going to have a clue about this next historical author we've got coming on the show. I was actually very surprised, but you're going to want to check it out. And it's my pleasure now to record the review of which I did for the elopement and share with you my thoughts on the book and the quality of writing that I discovered in it. If I was to sum up this author and this novel, I would say the storyteller is the same quality of the dame Catherine Cookson. The elopement allows you to get lost in the frightfully easy story of how a woman can fall in 1897. She captures both those in high society and those who work below stairs. This woman is able to capture class voices from all places and walks of life, and this is one incredible story that will capture and sweep you away no matter where you are in your life. I haven't seen quality writing like this in a number of years. This was a five-star amazing novel that follows the journey of many women who undergo perfect journeys of self-discovery. This is a series of stories that I hope will be looked into further. The characters in themselves had a great deal of depth and their wild spirits was just perfectly suited for the world that she created. I'd like to see more of how these stories progress and if there is any more stories that she will take from this duology. I think this is a perfect execution of a female character-driven novel. I can carefully say that she will be my number one historical author to watch in the coming years, and I don't say that lightly. Check out what she achieves and make sure that you follow her on Amazon. There will not be a book that will disappoint. And with that being said, I give her 5 out of 5, and uh, I look forward to hearing what all you think of the book The Elopement and also what you think um, of her work, you know, in her archive, or what her future work is like. Right, that is the review for The Elopement, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you all again very soon.